This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just give me patience, yeah. What is up, Z family? It's your boy, Dr. Zubin Nemanja, aka Z Dog MD, and I am joined today by the Mac Daddy himself. Tim Boone, he is a registered nurse. He is also the CEO of Good Shepherd Community Care in Newton, Massachusetts, just nearby Boston. And he is here to tell us and to teach us about how we can make our end of life wishes known for our family members so that when we die, because we all die, last I checked, they will not feel like they didn't do everything in their power to respect our wishes and they will never feel guilty about our death. Tim Boone, thank you for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. I notice you're drinking something delicious and nutritious oh, right it's over alkaline there. alkaline water. I find that it purifies my system <laughs> and keeps me from getting cancer. It, it's amazing, amazing uh, all-in-one cure that yeah. was taken from our show yesterday where we basically took a crap on alkaline water. Right. And now today we're talking about, because alkaline water claims it'll make you immortal. There is no right. immortality, no, as you know. No, there is not. And your passion and your life's work has been kind of shepherding people, no pun intended, I mean, because, hello, uh, shepherding people through the end of their lives. You guys do hospice and palliative care, and one of your passions is making sure that our patients have made their wishes known to their surrogate decision maker. Exactly. Now, how did you get involved in all that as a nurse? Um, well, in hospice, I started doing that almost 25 years ago. I started working in hospice. I'd been, I've worked in the ER before, and um, it just kind of came up as it was an opportunity that I, that I kind of checked out. It was shortly after my dad died that I was looking into, you know, changing my, you know, my focus. I've done psych nursing. I've done ER nursing. Wow, you did and, psych um, and ER and then hospice. <clears throat> yeah, both are pretty good preparations for hospice. Yeah, I would I imagine think, so, yeah. yeah. Um, and I fell in love with hospice just because the, the, the philosophy of care around hospice, it was pretty unique at the time. This is 20 some years ago. But the whole concept of the team, an interdisciplinary team, this was kind of new at the time. So an interdisciplinary team is different than like a multidisciplinary team. And an interdisciplinary team, you know, everybody's kind of equal. Everybody's at the table. You got your docs there, your nurses, your social workers, but we're all an equal part of the team. Right. And, um, and hospice was built on that each person has something significant to, to contribute to the plan of care, and we all kind of sit down as equals and go so, over there. You know, so what's fascinating about that is when I talk about health 3.0, I talk about a holarchy rather than a hierarchy. There you so go. everybody is true but partial, and they're all necessary for the team. It isn't a dominator hierarchy where somebody's the boss. Exactly. Hospice was doing this 
decades ago. Exactly. And so that was partially maybe, because I'll tell you, when I was rounding at Laguna Honda Hospice in San Francisco as a UCSF medical student in the 90s, HIV, end stage, uh, cancer, all of that, they had an um, interdisciplinary team just like that. And I'd never seen anything like it because nurses were talking to doctors, were talking to social workers, were talking to pharmacists as equals. Right. And we were conditioned the opposite way that the doctor is the boss and everyone else is underneath. Exactly. So and hospice was the first real you know, Medicare certified provider that that's in the regulation. This is how we, this is how we interact with each other. So you have to do um, it that way. We have to do it that way. In order to get paid by Medicare. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of other things, the, the patient and family as a unit of care was first in the hospice regulations back in the early 1980s. So our unit of care is the patient and their family because you know, most of our patients are at home. Right. And, the, and the care that we provide impacts the patient and their loved ones. And, and that's similar to what we're talking about today. You know, April is National Healthcare Decisions Month. And, um, and, and one of the things that we see in hospice, and you see in all kinds of healthcare situations, is when you have someone at the end of life, or in any life-threatening situation, it may not be the end, but they've, they're not making their own decisions. Someone else has got to be their proxy and make their decisions. It's hard for that person. They're not quite sure, when they don't know what that person wants, and they're struggling with some difficult decisions. The situations are sometimes complex, they're not so simple. Um, it's really important for their peace of mind, for them to feel like, like they did things the best they could. They did things the way that their loved one wanted them to be done. Well, so, 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 you know, so ZPAC, how many of you guys <laughs> have been in a position to make healthcare decisions for a loved one and felt like you weren't fully prepared? Dad never told me what he wanted, my wife never told me what she wanted, that kind of thing. And then when you go through the process, the guilt and the fear either causes you to do a lot or to live with some degree of regret. Right. So if I understand correctly, Tim, what you're saying is, look, if you have the conversation in advance and you prepare that loved one to be your decision maker, right. then they can, they can act intelligently and with uh, the confidence that they're doing what your wishes were. Exactly. So when you die, because we, right. all, we all die, die we, the, the guilt and the regret isn't part of the equation. Exactly. And, and, that's, and that's one of the most important things that people, it isn't just about you getting what you want, which is important, but it's about your loved ones feeling like they gave you what you wanted. Because yeah. um, they're the ones that are living on. And so we, got, we have to be really, their feelings and, and how they live on is, is really important. So one of the tools for that, and you brought one with you, uh, in some states it's called a pulsed physician right. orders for life-sustaining treatment. Right. In other states like your own, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. The Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Uh, right. It's a MOLST. Yes. What does that stand for? Um, medical orders for life-sustaining treatments. So, ZPAC, this is what we're talking about here, this beautiful fuchsia pink uh, monstrosity that actually can prevent so if much. I could just correct you for a minute, because uh -oh. it is a trademarked color. Oh, it is? Astro Bright's Pulsar Pink. That's a thing. I just don't want you to get sued by anybody. You know what? The last thing I need is more lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> so Astro Bright Fuchsia Pink, was it? Astro Bright's Pulsar Pink. Pulsar, because a pulsar is vastly more gravitationally active than fuchsia. Exactly. Uh, I love it. And yeah. so in this actual form, it's a physician order. Right. So you talk with your patient, you say, let's go through this, and then the doctor signs it. How is that different than just a living will or a... Well, because it is a doctor's order that is that is legal in any setting. Mm -hmm. So, so this you know this is if you're at home and something happens and someone calls nine one one and they come, this order is effective. If you yeah. go to the hospital, this order is effective. If you're in a nursing home, this order is effective. So it crosses 
um, provider types, Got classes, it. institutions, and it is a physician's order. Got it. Um, so it's not just somebody, you know, guessing about what you want. It is you've put it in writing, your doc has signed it, and it's in so order no that physicians can follow. Exactly. Got it. And it's quite specific. So it goes through CPR, resuscitate, do not resuscitate. Ventilation, do not intubate, but go ahead and ventilate. Right. Intubate and ventilate. Do not use non-invasive ventilation like CPAP, BiPAP. That's such an important distinction because a lot of times people come in end-stage emphysema, end-stage COPD, end-stage lung cancer, and right. you're like, well, do I put them on BiPAP? You, they, they end up looking like Hannibal Lecter. They're 30, 90 pounds, and they have this mask on, and you're just going, what am I doing? But it wasn't clear. Right. Just because they do not right. resuscitate doesn't mean don't do those right. other things. Exactly. So this tries to be as clear as it can about some very specific end-of-life um, um, options. Um, yeah. There's, um, you know, we talked about some of this stuff. Dialysis is on here, artificial nutrition, nutrition and hydration. And this is, this is an, a, you know, it's a good and appropriate form to have if you are in a situation where you have a, um, a condition that you know to be terminal or, or most likely life-threatening and you're anticipating these kind of things happening. Or if you're, if you're much older and you've kind of, you feel like you've lived your life and you want to, you know, when something happens, you want to be clear about what, you want people to do or not do uh, right for you. It, it can sometimes be, you know, it's not going to be useful maybe for someone who's, you know, 25 years old and gets hit by, you know, a car. You're not going to say, you know, let's see if he has a most form. Right. You're going to do everything you can because your 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 assumption is that you're going to be able to bring this person, you know, back to, you know, a, a functioning life. Let, let me clarify something there though. So your 25 year old turns out you can't bring them back to a functional life, but they're on a ventilator, they're on a feeding tube, they're pegged in trach. <clears throat> What capacity do they have now? They can't make decisions. Right. What was, what should they have done to kind of prevent So that's that? the tough part. So then yeah. they, they should have named, you know, in Massachusetts, it's a healthcare proxy. Right. In other states, it's a healthcare representative or, you know, a surrogate, or, surrogate yeah. whatever. But you have to have someone who can make those decisions for you and who knows you. Yeah. And who knows what you, what you want. Yeah. So, you know, choosing that person, and that becomes a legal document too, where you've chosen, that's the person who will make decisions for you um, when you are unable to. Medical power of attorney. <laughs> Medical power yeah. of attorney. Yeah. And having conversations with that person that helps equip them to make those decisions. You know, if you name somebody and you haven't had good conversations, you've put them in a pretty tough spot. What's the problem with naming someone you love deeply and who loves you deeply as your surrogate? Decision maker. That's what people usually do, mm -hmm. um, because they figure that's the person that knows you best. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem with that is then that person has all kinds of a, the, the guilt feelings we talked about. They're gonna they're gonna be really worried. Did I do this right? Did I do what this person wanted? And 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 they are they they might be they might be approaching the situation more emotionally than you would be approaching yeah. the situation because they're not you and but they but they love you. So then they might make a decision that isn't necessarily what you might have wished or what you communicated to them. Right. They might override it and go, I want this person with me. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. Making decisions yeah. for them. Well, right. so, and I want to clarify to the ZPAC. So the reason Tim's on the show, I met Tim because he had me come out and speak for Good Shepherd Community Care at a fundraiser they were doing in uh, uh, Waltham, Massachusetts. And I got to interact with his team, with his group at, at Good Shepherd. I got to interact with local people who were passionate about this issue of hospice and palliative care and end of life. And I fell in love with these guys. Like they are doing it in an advanced, humane, really collaborative way. Everything that kind of we try to talk about in Health 3.0. And so Tim was like, I'm coming through Vegas. And I'm like, you need to be 
on the show and talk about how we can prevent people from being in a situation where their loved ones are suffering with regret and guilt and all the things you just talked about. Exactly. Now, in the process of that, was, was there anything on the, um, on the Good Shepherd side, stuff that you do that you want to tell these guys about uh, before we launch into something really interesting that is unique to this guy right here? Oh, well, Good Shepherd is a wonderful organization. It's a not-for-profit, community-based um, organization that's devoted entirely to providing good end-of-life and palliative care. We've been doing that for 40 years now. It's our 40th anniversary. So I just like people to know that we're out there and we're, we're doing it in the way that we think is right, and we're fully committed to that. When I was there, you know, and I, I speak for a lot of organizations, I, I right. got the feels from you guys. Like, mm -hmm. you get the feeling that you're doing work that is transcending the standard of care. You, you really care deeply, and uh, you're doing your best with limited resources in a very challenging economic environment to yeah. take care of people during the most expensive, what can be the most expensive it, time. It can be, exactly. It can be if you do yes. it wrong, in right. particular. Exactly. And one of the things, one of the things that came up when, so you introduced me for the show, and before you introduced me, you went up there and you told a story and then you read a little rhyme that yes. you wrote because yeah. you had to outdo me. Well, I was challenged. So, you know, my, we, 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 we have this. Uh, no, wait, stop. Tom Heineber is challenged. That's <laughs> you know what? Tim said not to pick a loved one. So I'm not picking you. <laughs> I really didn't say not to pick a loved one. People usually do pick loved ones. Um, <laughs> What the hell was that? <laughs> so I was saying how, how you, had you had introduced me with a story and then... Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, you know, my, we, we, have, we have this an, annual institute dinner where we bring a, you know, a, a, a speaker that people are going to love listening to, a, you know, a, a highly sought after speaker, you know, mm -hmm. someone that we feel like our audience is chomping at the bit to hear. We've had, you know, Tul Gawande has spoken in the past and... Amateur. Yeah, he's mm -hmm. speaking again next year. But oh, you know, what you're having him back and not me? Oh, I'll have you back if you want to come back. We can't have you kept two years in a row. But yeah, we'll have you back again. But anyway, but usually, you know, I don't have someone who's as as talented and gifted as you. And so I was challenged. Like this guy's going to come on and do all these videos. And so you know, Jennifer, one of you know Jennifer, yeah, Sachin, she, she said, oh Tim, you should do you should go up and do some kind of a rap. And and I and I said. No, I, you know, I don't mind taking a risk of making a fool out of myself, but I'm not going to do it for certain. But I thought, you know, I'll do something creative because I've got, we've got the Z-Dog coming up. So I decided to write out my advanced directives in, in, the, in a Dr. Seuss poetic verse. Now, guys, <clears throat> you've got to understand something here. I heard that this was going to go down. I see Tim, a patrician white, you know, New Englander, in a three-piece suit with a, like, tuxedo top. And he's like... Uh, Z-Dog, I'll be uh, dropping some rhymes during this thing. And I'm like, oh, sure you will, Tim. <laughs> then he does his thing. And I'm like, uh, I'm just going to go home now because I've been outdone in a clever and amazing way. This is probably the most brilliant use of rhyme to talk about end-of-life planning, preparation, and the emotionality around it that I've ever seen. And it started with a story that you told. Well, it, it actually came to me because I've been doing hospice for 24 years. I'm always encouraging people to have these conversations. And I realized that I really hadn't prepared my loved ones very well. Like, mm. I, because I've been in hospice for so long, I kind of, you know, you kind of, you think that things will happen to you that you see happening around you. So I thought, okay, when my time comes, I'll get something. I'll have time to, you know, to be in control of things. Um, like my, my brother recently recently passed, and he had mm -hmm. primary progressive MS, and it went 
you know, it, it was pretty rapid moving, but it wasn't so rapid that he didn't have time to go through these. And I felt as horrible as that was for him, that experience, and for his, his family, at least the decision-making part mm. I was able to be helpful with. And it was smooth. He was able to see what his trajectory was and make decisions along the way. And because it was slower moving, you know, than say a, you know, an MI or, or something, right. he was able to do that. And then, but then what happened subsequent to that, a good friend of mine died and he didn't. He just dropped, you know, had, a, had an MI or something like that. And, um, you know, he, you know, they took him to the hospital. He was in the ICU and, and he had four months of ICU, rehab, ICU, mm. and really difficult. There was, there, this wasn't put in place. And so it was four months that he took to die going back and forth between the IU, ICU and the, and the rehab. And it was really tough for his, for his family. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I haven't prepared for that. I haven't told my, my, my wife or, or anyone what to do if something suddenly happens to me. You know, I felt like, I just felt like, you know, things would go differently. So right. I realized that I had not written down my advanced directives um, for this. And I thought, I'm gonna take this opportunity to, to write them down and to try to, you know, I have this clever, brilliant person coming to try to be somewhat creative in the process. So you, had, you basically had Dr. Oz coming, is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> but then I showed <laughs> yeah. up instead. Right, exactly. Right, right. well, so I'm gonna tell you right now, uh, Tim Boone, who is an RN, who is the CEO of Good Shepherd Community Care, is gonna drop some rhymes about how to tell your loved ones what your wishes are at the end of life so you don't die and leave them feeling guilty that they didn't respect what you wanted. And it goes something like this. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, dear family and friends and whom it may concern, I'm writing this poem to help you discern the actions to take and the things to refuse when some terrible day you are faced with the news that some sudden illness or stroke of bad luck has left me unconscious and helpless and stuck face up in an ER laid out on a stretcher with chaos around and you're under pressure to make some very quick high stakes decisions. I want you to feel you at least have a vision of what you can do so you'll know in your soul that you've done what you could with what's in your control. But what? There are so many things that could happen to me, from some normal disease to a strange tragedy. I could be shot, stabbed, or bombed by a crazed mass attacker. Or I could do something as simple as choke on a cracker. I've done if, that. If I were much older or already quite sick, I'd review what I do when I don't want right quick. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> right. I got you, I got you, bro. I had this memorized. No, I got you. I threw you with the, with the cracker, because I have right. choked on a cracker. Uh, cracker, cracker, here we go, here we go. Oh, here we go. Right quick. I'd review what to do, and I want to write, but while, but while what I, but while in what I think is a good state of health, barring malignancies lurking in stealth, it's a bit more complex than would otherwise be, were I now gravely ill and you were my trustee. If I suffered already some known bad condition, like terminal cancer, for which a physician had given a very poor, sad, short prognosis, prognosis. like bile duct tumor, or gliomatosis, Tosis. or PPMS, or an end-stage cirrhosis, I'd choose my own plan for my own diagnosis. diagnosis. If my heart were about to give out and, and I, I knew, knew it, it, I'd save you this trouble and write my way through it. it. I'd sit down with my doc, and she'd sit down with, with me, me, and we'd write out the orders for, for all, all the docs to see. see. It would be what is known in most states as a pulse form. In our commonwealth, we call it a most form. We'd talk about tubes for food and hydration, for breathing and peeing and resuscitation. She'd find out when I'd want to be hospitalized, and without much ado, it would be finalized. After all of my preferences I have confided, and my doc has checked off all the things we've we decided, decided to make clear what I do when I don't want provided, we'd print, print out both, both pages, pages, one sheet, double-sided. Double -sided. We'd sign with a pen in blue or black ink, and the paper would be 
Astro Bright, Pulsar Peak. Pajam. <laughs> but, but that's not how it is, nor how it may be when someday you stand looking down sadly at me. When something has happened, we'd all prefer not when I'm mauled by a bear or a nasty blood clot oh, that wedges its way into my heart or my brain and my pulse and my breathing I cannot maintain without all the people, machines, and the meds in this room with this knob with the, the clinitron, clinitron beds. beds. Oh. At this point, you're proxy, and I am unable to speak or to write because I am unstable. What I advise now is you try to stay steady. They'll understand here that nobody's ready to see what you'll see and to hear what they'll say. You'll need to stay strong to get, get through, through this day. day. Word. In these first hours before they know much, there's no need to talk about hospice and such. I want pretty much everything under the sun to keep me alive till assessments are done. But that's where it gets hard. Those assessments are key to know well exactly what's happening to me. You remember, dear Julie, from your nursing classes, I'm sorry, I gotta stop. My wife's name is Julie, by the oh. way, and I forgot to mention that, and she's a nurse. She's a nurse, been, too. And she's been working in home care for about 20 years or so as well, so she's been out of the cute space for that period. How time. dare you personalize this? I'm, well, it's, she's my health care So I'm sorry, I gotta go back. Yeah. You remember, dear Julie, dear Julie, from your nursing classes, and no things are bad when they mention blood gases. Oh. When they work fast but talk to you slow, slow as, as molasses. molasses. To tell you your, my PCO2 count surpasses the level at which any life can sustain, and they've just placed a catheter in a large vein, and they tell you inserting a tube down my throat and pumping in air is the best antidote to whatever initial test tell them assails me, let them do it. But know that it won't cure what ails me. Keep in mind all the time that there's really no doubt that whatever's put in, we can make them pull out. Oh, whatever's put in, we can make them pull out. If it's day two if or day, it's day three. If it's day two or day three and there's been no real changes, if we've not gotten past keeping vitals and ranges that keep me alive and my organs profuse, and my mental state's worse than just simply confused, and I'm so not able to talk, think, or write, it's time to get serious about how I want to fight. Now's when you'll need to deal with the odds and the chances and get all the intel on my circumstances. Make sure all the docs are real honest with you and they've given a total and thorough review to help make it clear what you think I would do. If there's a good chance I'll emerge from this coma with nothing so bad as a limp or a stoma, then tell them to go ahead with their bad selves and fritter around me like magical elves and poke me and prod me and turn me about and shove in more tubes from my tail to my snout. Hallelujah. But it must be a good chance. Don't take a long shot. To find out for sure, get a palliative consult. What? You want a clinician who's skilled in the art, who's taken the time to review my whole chart. You want him or her to be truthful with you, to share data and odds, and to talk the thing through. So review all the facts. Don't get too sentimental. Save that for the funeral. I won't be judgmental. <laughs> if the life that I lived is now fully behind me, that's what I want in the end to define me. I don't want the memory of me recalled as an oblivious lump with devices installed, and I damn sure don't want all the money I've saved to be spent on my trip from this bed to that grave. I'd rather you have it. The kids and their spouses. If Bernie had one, it could help them buy houses. Because he did not, and they're going to need knowledge, you can set it aside to help them with college. But I guess I've digressed. That stuff's all in my will. Let's get back on the track and get you up this hill. If the odds don't look good, please don't grasp at faint straws. Tell my kids, friends, and mother, and my in-laws to gather, and just for a moment, take pause. Tell me you love me. Give me a kiss. Have them turn off the things that buzz, roll, and hiss. Have the nurse give me meds to make sure I feel good, and pull the tubes out knowing it's understood that you were first-rate. In a tough situation, you have only my love and my firm affirmation and my trust you've performed, as in past situations, in a way that succeeded my best expectations. I'm going to use that exact, exact poem and give it to my wife and go, these are my wishes. That is spot on. I'll even call her Julie. <laughs> just to keep it legit. And, uh, I mean... How did Tim Boone... 
R and rise through the ranks at Good Shepherd and still be better than Z Dog MD at his okay, own job. Okay, you can shut it up right now. He is so much better than you are. You know what? You're not. You're no longer. Actually, now you're my surrogate decision maker because I no longer love you, Tom Heinberg. <laughs> we have an ambivalent relationship. We do. It's a love love relationship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's unbelievable. Well, thank you. And I think it was absolutely on point. And this is what we need to teach our patients as healthcare providers. Right. I guess that's one of my points, too, is that, you know, a lot of us are in healthcare. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot, I think it's the largest employer now in, in the country. Like 12% yeah. of us are in healthcare. Yeah. So we know a lot of this stuff. Like, like there's no physician, you know, physicians have a different mindset about what they want for themselves than what their patients get oftentimes. And there's no physician who's in his or her 80s or 90s that are going to want CPR. Or they're going to want CPR for their mom or dad who's in their, their 90s. Yeah. They're not going to want that because they know what that looks like yeah. um, for someone who's, you know, who's... You who's, can feel the ribs crack. You can hear... Exactly. Yeah. So you, people in healthcare have been through that. They know that instinctively. Right. The, the general public, they don't... You call them muggles. Muggles, right? my yeah. non-medical folk. Yeah. I was thinking of myself. I think of myself because, you know, I used to be... I used to practice nursing, but I'm an administrator now, so I don't do that. <laughs> so I think of myself, I'm not really a muggle, but I'm a squib. So I don't have like the superpowers, but I do understand the, the wizardry world. You come from the world of wizardry, right? But are strangely powerless in the ways of the wizard. Exactly. That's brilliant. Yeah. Exactly. I'm gonna start stealing that. Actually, I think Tom Heineber is a squib. Is he a squib? Yeah, too? he's a total yeah. squib because yeah. he can say some of the words, but, but he doesn't, he doesn't he really do know what they mean. Yeah, he like, can't actually like, intubate someone. Like I can't save people anymore. I can't do that. You know what? I'm not sure I ever could. <laughs> I was really good at end of life. That Were was you? my when I was full-time hospital medicine, yeah. That was my favorite thing because I knew I could bring people together. I had the whole team, we'd sit there, we'd hold the hand, I'd spend time. And that was the mm -hmm. most rewarding thing to me than even saving somebody's life. Yeah. Because it is very rewarding. Yeah. Very rewarding. Yeah. Um, it really is. So so that was beautiful. And one thing I want to tell the Z Pack is that so Tim runs Good Shepherd Community Care. We're gonna put a donate button when we are done with this live on this video. If you can share this video, if people can donate even a dollar to Tim's organization, they're doing such good work in, uh, in Massachusetts. And he didn't ask me to do this. I just feel like I really want to do this. If the ZPAC can help support this, or especially if you're in Massachusetts, if you care about end of life, if you like this poem and you want us to edit it out of this clip and put it live for you guys to share as its own thing, please consider supporting Good Shepherd Community Care and the wonderful work they do. They're a not-for-profit. They're doing this transcendent work and you can see the goodness kind of oozing out of this gentleman next to me. Everybody in the organization's like that. Tim that was lovely. Boone. Well, I mean it actually. No, thank you. Unlike Dr. Oz, I mean what I say. <laughs> he might mean what he says too, but I don't But he know. also gets paid. That's the difference. Oz gets paid. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is the difference. Good Shepherd Community Care, Tim Boone. Thank you very much. Greatest great rhymer since Bismarcky. It has been an honor. Thank you for coming all the way out from Boston and stopping with us. It's a pleasure. Z Pack, hit share, hit like, tell your friends, leave a story about what you're going to talk to your family about, about your end of life wishes. And we out. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, we're not going to stop, Dr. Oz. We're not. <laughs> Only you can stop Dr. Oz. <laughs>
hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.